And welcome everybody to the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen. Uh, Chris, Lexi, how you two doing? Hey. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Let's just let's <laughs> let us let us just keep the conversation rolling. We kind of already started before we went live here. Um, Lexi, you were talking about how um, it's a little bit tiring at times to have to explain one's existence. Can can you just continue with with that thought there? P- people can just well, yeah, join so- us as we're running past. <laughs> All right. So uh, what I was referring to is the uh, is the i the idea of of having to explain your identity and your existence just because you look different or you're from another place, you have another culture, and and it's it's a very different it's very different when people approach you with an openness and curiosity and and saying I want to learn. I don't know about mm-hmm. your experiences, and I want to learn how to be a better ally. Uh, it's completely different to oh well you saying that that means you shaming me and all lives matter and yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very 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 different approach so how do you I mean I'm I'm willing to be helpful uh, and and talk about these things and have these important conversations but if already there is a hostile world out there uh, how I mean I am going to put my defenses up. <laughs> so I would love to have an open an open conversation, but let's let's do it in a way where I'm not obliged as a as a woman of as a woman of, of color here in Norway, I am not obliged to teach the white person to uh, understand what's happening. But I am willing to if there is an openness. I guess kind of halfway playing the devil's advocate, I could throw this out there. Okay, you say you're not obliged to teach them Mm -hmm. but if we minorities people of color men and women of color if we don't take up that task how are they going to learn if we don't take up that task and take the initiative to teach how will they learn what reason will they have to learn can can i answer jump in there brother jump in there (laughs) Um, i'll i'll challenge that with with well you didn't put yourselves in this position to begin with so why should you have to dig yourself out of it and that's a great you know, answer I, and that's actually the way i feel i'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate here but that's okay. a great answer it is you know, i mean it, you know in, in the case of the african-american community and the black community in the, in the u.s it's not like you all signed up on boats 400 years ago and said hey Whole, Some like, great job opportunities in America up. back Shane then. Sounds like a great idea. Sign me up. Yeah. Mm. And then you know, 400 years later, it's like, oh, let me explain to you why we're not cool with this now. Yeah. It, it's not like that, yeah. you know. And and my first, the very first time I interacted with with this sort of thing was actually with a um, a queer activist, and this was back in '98. And we had started reading um, a lot of queer theorist literature, and and this woman knew tons about it. And so I went to her after class, and I was like, you know, hey, th- this is really interesting material. You know, what other stuff should I be reading? And she just flat out said to me, it's not my job to tell you. We have a library over there. <laughs> and, and at first, because it was the first time anyone had ever said anything like that to me. Yeah. And, I didn't. I didn't get angry or upset. I was just taken aback. Right. Right. And I was like, "Wow!" And then I went and thought about it. And I mean, this was '98. This was before Google. 
right? And she had a point. You know, it's like, yeah, there there is a library <laughs> stacked with skilled librarians. I almost didn't know what you were. Ta- I almost didn't know what you were talking about when you said before Google. But yes, <laughs> libraries, <laughs> libraries. You know, but, Just a year. You know, but. And, and you, <laughs> Go ahead. No, but I was gonna. I was gonna ask you, Lexi. Where do you think that that queer woman was coming from when she told Chris it's not her responsibility? Where do you think? What do you think stimulated that response from her? I I think it's it's very similar. I mean, I can't speak for her. No, uh, no. it's very it's very similar to uh, what other activists. You know, you, you get fatigued. You get fatigued. Um, get tired, you have yeah. different ways of working. Yeah, yeah, you get tired from this. So it's something called the activist fatigue, uh, that when you uh, um, are working all the time, it, it takes an emotional toll because you're fighting for your existence and for your existence, the existence of your of your brothers and sisters and, and everyone that's marginalized in the, in the different intersections. But so, so when somebody who is in a position of privilege comes to you and wants to ex- ex- what feels like extracting your resources. I see. I see. Well, it's not feels like it is. And I will be completely honest. That's what it was the first time I did it. You know, it was like, you know, something that will help me in my academic pursuits, you know, and I had no relationship to that whole way of being that whole experience. And so for me, it was, it was just this very objectified academic question i didn't take into consideration that it's like oh this is actually you know a a a lifetime of struggle for this person you know and and uh i didn't respect that and and i didn't treat that with with care you know it was just this kind of like tell me (laughs) (laughs) and i think that and i think that's the small nuance that that Lexi was going for in in the beginning here is that you know or the conversation you were both having about you know you know, taking the conversation, having the conversation and whatnot. It's, it, and it, it it's, it, it, there is no, like, you can't write a sheet on like how to know if someone's just extracting information. It's, it's very much the tone <laughs> yeah. and demeanor. Um, you see this a lot with the optical ally right now. It's just like, give me, give me something pretty. I can post on my Facebook. So I look like I'm an ally without having actually read Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, you know, or Ellison's Invisible Man or any of those things to really try and get your head around what the challenges are. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, that phenomenon of being the visual ally, of being the cool, uh, hip uh, visual ally, that's going around Facebook right now. Um, I've seen um, people, so far it's been people that I went to high school with and I know their attitude back then. I've seen their attitude on social media up until now. But oh boy, do they look so cool posting the the Blackout Tuesday uh, uh, mm, thing? And it's that just was helpful. and it's just like a <laughs> facepalm moment. It's I, I can't even get mad because I have to I have to hold out with the hope that maybe this is a genuine change in that individual. But the face palm comes first. It's like, oh my gosh, what what are what are you doing? Um, but having said that, there seems to be a wind, a new wind of change in the air in the states right now. Uh, I mean, you, you you see it in the video footage of some of these protests where a majority of the people out there marching are white people, and that's fascinating to me. I've never seen that before. Mm. It's. It- 
you you were going to say something, Lexi? No, no. I mean, you guys are from, from the states, so I'm, I want to hear. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Well, but but, but here in Norway as well. Here in Norway as well. The the protest in Oslo. I haven't seen a lot of footage of that, but some of the footage that I saw, it appeared that most of the protesters there in front of the embassy were white as well. John, come on. That's that's statistics. <laughs> you looked at the population breakdown. My lion eyes. That's like that's like getting a bowl or getting a box of cheese <laughs> and then being surprised that there's a cocoa puff in it. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> I love it, Chris. I just love you. That's uh, you know, quite, of course it's going to be white people. It's Norway. Well, okay, you could say yeah. You know, obviously it's an overwhelming majority of white people here in Norway. But one would think that the people who would be most engaged to the point to where they would actively protest, you know, show up at a gathering of protest in front of the embassy, that they would be people of color. That's what I would think. Not in Oslo. No <laughs> way. No. Be, and, and Lexi can correct me if I'm wrong on this because she's more tuned into these matters. But my general experience with the police in Oslo is that if you're white, you can get away with murder. Mm. Full stop. If, if you are a person of color, know your place. What do, you, what do you know about that, uh, Lexi? Well, absolutely, he's right. Uh, I was just um, checking in on, on, on the numbers and, and trying to bring uh, the experience of police violence and uh, to Norway. So who are the people who are suffering most from that, on the receiving end of that? And, and there's obvious racial profiling here too. You know, the, the, there was a, a woman that was... Uh, um, how do you say it? Kvela talk in Norwegian. Choked. She was choked. Yeah, yeah, she was choked. And then the same police <clears throat> officer choked uh, another man seven years later, and they they weren't charged. So these things keep happening, and, and people, uh, young young people of color are being stopped in the streets and and asked, well, whose whose bike is that? Whose uh, phone are you carrying? They're they're being stopped in the streets and. Um, so yes, it's there, it's there, and it's every single day. So maybe the difference, the state is much bigger, so you have yeah. much bigger issues that way. But here it continues, it's every single day. Little droplets of, of everyday racism that chips away at you. And, but who's, who's talking yeah. about that? You know, uh, and, I, and I believe you, when you say that's happening, I believe you, but I don't have any first-hand knowledge of it. Now that could be because... Uh, I don't know. Am I a, <laughs> do, am I an agoraphobe? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I guess I don't get out much, and I really don't get out much in Oslo. I'm not familiar with the the streets of Oslo or the social situation in Oslo at all. So, who's talking about this? Are there any groups that are shining a light on this problem of racial profiling? What you're you're nodding? Yeah. What, what? No, John. John, we need to we need to focus on the real issue, which is getting to our cabin in times of quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you for thank you for That's that redirection. Thank you. <laughs> let's, let's stay focused here. <laughs> uh, That's it, though. Yeah. <laughs> but are are there? Uh, you know. I, I, I don't, don't want to interject. Yeah, please. Thing really quick, yeah. because because I'm about to lose it, and we're getting really far away from the thing. Okay. When you were talking about 
why all of a sudden a bunch of white people are now participating. And, and uh, Lexi and I were involved in a conversation just a couple of days ago yeah. where someone was saying that Lexi was shaming them for, <laughs> you know, for this very conversation. And, and I think that a, a large part of why there is greater white participation is the shame and and i and i think that from from the white perspective that shame is necessary oh yeah that is the first step yeah you, you if you if you don't like allow that shame in if you don't because shame means that you recognize that something is a bit off here and you may be a part of that so i think that you know whenever i hear people going like oh you're shaming me it's like yeah <laughs> Because it's necessary. It's part of a process. <laughs> well, anybody who is witness to any type of racial disparity, you know, it, America has been witness to this problem for hundreds of years and very little has been done. So shame on you, America. Yeah. Shame, period. Now, when that shame or that blame is placed, that doesn't mean that the door is closed. Not for me anyway. I can say oh, shame on you, but then continue a conversation that hopefully will enlighten and lead to some sort of action. Yeah. And I wonder if white people, whether it's in, in back home in the States or here in Norway, I wonder if white people cannot deal with that shame. Is, is there a problem well, with admitting? Is there a problem with them admitting that they've been wrong or blind? Uh, this, it kind of destroys the image one creates of oneself. So think of the Norwegian, uh, and I'm not here to talk bad about Norwegians, but it's think about the Norwegian soul. You know, the, it's typically good to be Norwegian. It's that idea, yeah. right? So you're the goodness, the idea, the niceness. You break with the niceness. There's no room for anything else. So you have to pathologize it. Like you saw with Anders Bering Breivik, when he shot all those 77 children, he shot them. Uh, and killed so many people and injured so many people because he was a, a, a fascist and a racist. Uh, but that's his, he wasn't part of Norwegian society. He was a crazy man. So we place him out of our imagery of what this country is and, and the identity of this country, and we pathologize it. It's something yeah. separate from us, so we don't have to deal with it. And in, in terms of healing, so when we talk about in, in psychotherapy and uh, and we, we look at shame and, and, and that, uh, it is so unbearable that we need to project it onto others. And that happens uh, on a large, large scale as well. So anything that's bad is something that doesn't look like us and doesn't look like the, the, the goodness, but the one that, that we believe is good. Um, so minorities will get it. Yeah. Uh, we get to sit with the shame. We get to, so the shame turns into anger. If you're not hurt, the, the, the healing comes when, when, when empathy, I mean, shame cannot survive with, with, if, if you have empathy there. But if you are met with police violence and discrimination, if you're met with horror and, and, and silencing and, and everyday racism, your, your shame is going to turn into rage and you're going to want to burn everything. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and yeah. just from a, a different, different side on the whole, shame as a white person. Um, I think that I, I, I was re-watching some, some stuff on redlining yesterday. Uh, so yes. this is an example. 
And, you know, a lot of white people don't realize that they, they just flat out don't realize that the very place that they live exists as a function of systemic racism. Yeah. yeah. And that and, doesn't mean they're so guilty have, of something. That doesn't mean that they're yeah, guilty of something. You have people who are like, like I, I have my friends, you know, I treat everyone with equal respect. I, I'm doing my best to be the good actor. And then, you know, they are very validly confronted with this this statement that, well, you were brought up in a system of, of racism. You know, as, as a white person who, you know, maybe isn't, working through these challenges and issues to suddenly be called or to have the term racist invoked alongside their experience. Yeah. It can be, yeah. it can be confrontational, but not sure. in a bad way. And I think that, and this goes to the point at the very beginning where if you're, if someone is bringing these things up, a person of color is bringing these things up, but willing to have the conversation about it, that, that opens the door. If someone's response to it is, I'm not racist, how dare you call me racist, then <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, okay, you're not ready for that conversation. Right, you know? yeah. Um, you know, but it's like, we had a joke about where I grew up, north of Boston. I grew up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, and the joke was always, they don't call them white for nothing. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> like, I sent, I sent Lexi my, uh, my sixth grade <laughs> class photo. And how many people of color were in that, Lexi? <laughs> Still wondering. Well, so yeah, that fun, is a fun fact. Fun fact, though, there was one person in that photo passing. Passing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, a, a spy in your midst. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my uh, my kids, my well, my my daughter especially. Um, people have to look twice. To, to figure out that 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 she's black that she's half black mm. so uh, she's old enough now where i talk to her about these things and stuff and she has now developed a more mature sense of humor so i tell her i'm preparing her to be a spy infiltrate <laughs> the white society come back and tell me what's really going on out there no it's a um i think it's a sad thing that that some white people a lot of white people go automatically into defense mode whenever the subject of race is taken up and i see that back home and i see that here in norway um and that right there just shuts the door on any progress because as it's as i said in um in my in, in a previous podcast episode i think it was episode 28 where i had that solo that solo, that, that monologue talking about today's situation. I don't think true change will ever happen, whether it's in the streets of Oslo or in the streets of, of Minneapolis. True change will not happen unless we get enough white people on board. Because we've been talking the same talk. Black people, people of color, women, um, LGBTQ community have been talking for how long? So it's going to take that demographic of the, the the straight white male in power to to to, to lead to any change am i wrong mm -mm. i i was just uh i was i read something today uh, that says well this is in relation to to feminism i don't read and before so 9 a.m oh well <laughs> coffee coffee and, coffee and, and a little bit of light reading <laughs> so yes yeah, so it was it was feminism doesn't need 
uh, male allies. It needs men who will be the enemies of patriarchy. So it's the idea that uh, don't you don't have to be part of our cause. Just just focus on what it is that you can do to dismantle what already is. I mean, that, that privilege that you have and the system that you're benefiting off and just dismantle that yeah. from within. This, this is... You know, we, you know, going to your, your comment earlier, John, about, you know, seeing what people are posting on Facebook. And as you know, I am a prolific shit poster on Facebook. Um, <laughs> You're expert, man. One of, the, one of the things that, that I've really tried to be mindful of in, in posting political items at this time is not to take on the the pain and the conversation of the black community in the U.S., but instead to find the things that challenge our position, the, the white position of power, you know. So that, that's why I'm posting things about redlining. That's why I'm trying to find things that are in a language and in metaphors that white people understand. You know, because if you come at them with the raw emotion uh, of that oppression, that's going to force them into defense modus. Exactly. You know, and instead say it's like, hey, look, I'm I'm as white as it gets. And here are the issues that I see as a white person that keep us all from having an amazing life. You yeah. know, and here are here are the the reasons for it, and here are the things that we can change, and and it's you know. I'm I'm really big on um, you know kind of taking the the Marxist side of it is that um, you know there there are there are academics who believe that racism is a symptom of economic malaise. It's a symptom of class, right? Mm. That we we use racism as a weapon to reinforce class structures, right? Yeah, and so and you see this in redlining. You you know, red, sorry, I'm really big on redlining because I did a deep dive in that last night. Because yeah. why not? Yeah, um, you know, but it, and and you know, all the way down to work, down to you know the the you know types of work that we make available to different people. You know, and and this is not to go into the the workplace diversity conversation because that's a whole other swamp. Um, sorry, that probably sounded horrible. I meant that there's a lot of other stuff to sure, sure. disassemble within. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that, you know, when, when we make things stable for people's lives, we then have room to deal with the bigger issues, right? Yeah. That, that make it <clears throat> more historic, right? If you if can you cross off, if, if you can check off the basics, if the basics are in yeah. place, then you've got the strength and stability mm-hmm. to move on to yeah. other things. You know, if you're not worried about where the next meal is coming yeah. from, then you probably actually have food in your stomach and have the energy to take a conversation. Yeah. You know, it, mm. it's, it's sometimes it's just that basic. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and I think, you know, if, you know, if you have got, you know, in the U.S., you know, we have the whole opiate issue, you know, tearing apart, you know, community. I mean, New England was one of the very first hit with the whole opioid thing in, in the late 90s. Um you know, I remember, you know, when I was living there and it was already an issue. Um, and then it, it just went like wildfire, wildfire through 
you know, rural America. And, and that's why it became an issue was because all of a sudden it was moving out of the rural areas into the suburbs um, and affecting white middle class people, you know, and then it became an issue. It yeah. only took 20 years, but hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's not like opioids have been tearing apart the African-American community for <laughs> decades. And it's not like we had anything to do with that either, you know, um, but it, it is very much about, uh, you know, if you do not allow for stability, then you can't have those conversations. It's yeah. difficult. So, so Lexi, how, how would you coach people on how to open that door to dialogue? Because, you know, we're talking about um, um, the defensive position that white people go into when it's brought up. And then on the other side of that, you have the frustration of people of color, of black people in America who, you know, we're, we're trying to make more people aware. We're trying to gain white allies. So you see, there's a little, there's a, there's a, there's a conflict there. Mm. Um, how do we get past that? Um, well, there are different ways. First of all, is uh, the the person, the white person who wants to who wants to learn, who wants to be an ally, um, needs to listen. That's one of the, the the best things you can do. Just stay quiet, listen, and then go go to those places. Look for those places online or find the, the, the people who are doing the work. Uh, and, and if you're on Instagram, if you just want to start on Instagram, then go look for the hashtags of, of the different organizations yeah. and people doing the work and, uh, and read up, attend a group. And, and if you're attending the group, you can ask to sit there, but listen, don't put your ideas up, but I, but I feel, and you know, cause you get that very, yeah, but I feel I'm not a racist. Then, then we can't have a conversation. It's very difficult yeah, yeah. to go in, unless you're you're predisposed to, uh, you know, if the person of color is predisposed to having this conversation again and again and again and again to the most tiresome level of uh, exhaustion. Yeah. But uh, listen, that's the one thing. I don't know, Chris. What have you learned from uh, from this? this yeah, I, I'd like to hear more about. Yeah, I'd like to hear more about what you because if I understand correctly, you two have had a dialogue about this subject. Yeah, and that's yeah, what I'd, I'd really like to hear about that. Patient. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there. I mean, even you know, I I know people will sometimes look at me and go like, "Wow, he knows a lot about this," and it's like, "Oh, I still screw up all the time, like all the time." Just last week, I was with Lexi and a couple of her friends, and I did exactly what she was saying, you know? And, and it's like, it, it, it's, it, it is it's so important to just shut the fuck up and listen. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like what? Okay, so, so, you made, so you made some sort of mistake then with, with Lexi yeah, and her friends. What, hap know, what, ha what happened? Uh, we were we were talking about something. It, the the specific topic escapes me, but I decided just to, it, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily to defend a position, but it, it was definitely a, a position of ignorance. That's for sure. Okay. Okay. Um, you know where you know her <laughs> friends clearly had more insights and richer insights on the matter. Um, and I apparently just didn't want to hear it, and, you know, and, and it happens, you know, and I think that's, that's the other thing, you know, is, is kind of recognizing when you've, 
when you put your foot in it, (laughs) you know, and then retracing your steps and going, okay, I put my foot in it. Where did I go wrong? I need to go back and do some reading. I need to go back and look at this, you know, and reevaluate the position that I had in it. Um, You know, but over the the longer conversation, it's definitely been um, about listening and being comfortable with putting your foot in it, but then reevaluating, you know, because yeah. if, if there, we've had several occasions where I, I put my foot in it uh, and, you know, <laughs> I now know the look on Lexi's face. She doesn't even have to gesticulate anymore. It's just, there's this specific look she gets and it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, but it, it's a, a learning process, you know, and I think, I think one of the big mistakes, this is a huge mistake uh, white people make, is when we talk about racism, we talk about it as a uniform thing. Explain that. What do you mean? Racism for the Latin community is a very different beast than racism for the African-American community or black communities. It's very, you know, um, homophobia is a very different type of oppression and i think that uh whites are for for the sake of emotional convenience we lump them together and just go okay i've got my my uh, merit badge you know we love our merit badges right you know it's like i've done i've done the the things in the scout manual that helped me to understand racism Uh, ticked all those boxes i've got this you know and it's like no you don't no, you don't. <laughs> you do mm. have this, you know? And it's like a lot of the, the challenges that Lexi has as a Latina woman in Norway are going to be very, very different from challenges you may have, John, mm. as an African-American male in Norway and mm. will be very different from a Somali male in Norway, mm. yeah. you know? And, and it's, it's layers upon layers upon layers. And, and, and I think the big mistake that we make uh, as whites is we just lump them all together and don't make the effort to understand the complexity and the nuance in it. Lexi, mm. have you experienced racism on your own person here in Norway? And if you have, how have you dealt with it? Oh, it's been constant. I mean, it's been, it's like what I was explaining before the, the, the everyday racism where your, your opinions are, are silenced, uh, your experience is not validated. And so you are, because I grew up here. I grew up, I came here when I was very little, so I grew up here. And, uh, and I would get comments in school. The teachers would have, uh, um, Okay, I can give a concrete example. So many. So if I can give a concrete example. Just don't get so excited about things. Okay. I was like, yay. No, no, but that's your example right there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, don't get excited. Um, Don't participate. Like, for instance, um, like dance. I love dancing. That gave me joy. But then I wasn't allowed to participate in more... um, dance competitions because then I wouldn't give the other kids a chance to be part of it because because you and the the explanation would be well you're a Latina and Latinas they knew how to dance so let the other kids dance and and, you know little things like that that affect you as a child you know and or don't have this opinion oh you're you think that way because you're not from here so making it every day all all these little 
what's the word? If you were a flower and then you start becoming brittle and small, and that's what happens to my soul <laughs> in yeah. places like that. No, that, that I label that. <laughs> that is that's the the main reason why I started working for myself was because of that. I got I got tired of being undervalued. Uh, mm. And I believe that most of that undervaluing, if there's such a word, uh, was because people just saw the color of my skin. Mm. He's not Norwegian. Mm. Oh my gosh. And he's black. Yeah. I truly feel that. Mm. Now, I'm not saying uh, that the first mm. job I ever had here in Norway, <clears throat> that was great. I mean, they, they cut me loose. They let me run a project and, and that was fantastic. But since then, the other jobs that I gravitated to before I started working for myself, it was just experience after experience of being undervalued and not appreciated mm. and talked to as if I'm a child. I'm a grown man. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I will challenge that a little bit because I think that's more just a, a chunk of it is the Norwegian work environment. I was having this conversation with a white British colleague about an incident that had happened at work. But and I won't, but I, yeah, but I won't deny, I won't deny that that happens to white immigrants or white expats. I'm not going to deny that, but I'm saying that my, my experience is I can, I can put my finger on it and say that it's because I was a black non-Norwegian. And I, I was getting to that point is that it's like, okay, so my colleague and I can cite one instance in a year. Where okay. This happened to us. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That, that was that was the point I was yeah. getting to. Yeah. Not, yeah. not to say like, yeah. oh, I feel you, brother. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. It's to say that it's like, but see, I can it takes, if it takes two white guys to get in a room and have a conversation about the one time it's happened this year to each of them. <laughs> you know, so so I've I've had those experiences, and I and I I, I count my blessings. I'm very fortunate to have the upbringing that I had. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to have the education that I have. And I'm fortunate to have the role models uh, in my family that I've had. Because that has given me the strength to experience things like that in the workplace and in society in general. But I continue to march on. And I look at, and I look at, no, it shouldn't be like that. And and what what I'm getting to is that there are other uh, black people, people of color, uh, other immigrant groups who maybe they're coming here without that solid upbringing. Maybe they're coming here with trauma of some sort that weakens their resolve. And I think if these people have experienced what I have, and many of them have experienced worse, I'm talking about once they've come here to Norway, you know, as far as discrimination and, and, and limits that are put upon them. It does not surprise me that there are a disproportionate number of immigrants, especially black immigrants here in Norway, who are unemployed and on the outskirts of society. We can also take that same thing and put it back in the United States. When people who live, you know, in the in, in in these black neighborhoods who have been oppressed by the police for generations, clearly those people are 
you know, the incidences of that solid upbringing with a lot of confidence, with a lot, with, with good role models and stuff that, that, that's, you know, they're not blessed with that. So their reaction, you know, the fallout of that trauma that they're experiencing is catastrophic. How do they, how do, how, how do, how do people, how do people find the strength to get out of that? Well, the, the answer is, is they don't. So that's why I put some responsibility on the white community, whether it's here in Norway or back in the States. That's why I put some responsibility on them to be aware of the power that they have. Hmm. They are the one. Yeah. It's going to take that engagement <clears throat> from them to make a change. Lexi, you, you look like you wanted to say okay. something. Yeah, I'm thinking about, again, bringing it back here to Norway and, and, and the experience of, of people coming from, from different places, from war-torn areas. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking of your family. What, well, yeah, for instance. Um, but the, the thing that happens here is that when, when you come here, you immediately place in a category. And instead of looking at the at the resilience that the person already has built, or uh, the riches and the resources that the person already, or the yeah that the person already brings, it is no no. You belong in this category. Yeah. Stay in your lane. We are here because you know we are receiving you, and you learn Norwegian A, Norwegian B, and you 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 be us. You 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 forget who you are. Leave your stuff mm. behind and become like us, but you will never be like us. Just remember that too. So you you're you're staying in this limbo, and and that it's uh it, it's even it's even worse. Sure, it's even worse. So it, so in terms of you know if you're working for people who are going to be working with refugees, working with with people from other minorities. Is to have that same kind of curiosity. Listen, I want to learn about your experience and how you see the world, because this, uh, because Norway is in the center of the universe. So there are there are lives and there are experiences happening all over the world. I am curious. What do you bring to the table? This is what we can bring to the table, and together we create a, a something different. But there isn't that. That, that. It's it's the idea of integration, but it's not integration this is assimilation and that's assimilation is is a, a segregation of, of, of your spirits basically yeah, because yeah. you 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 cannot be part yeah you have to fake it yeah fake it to be mm -hmm. here yeah mm. that doesn't work for me <laughs> i can't do it no, <laughs> and, and you know from where i sit in, in corporate norway it, it, it is a constant fight that i take to bring different voices in the room okay you know? and, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't it, i it, you know it's you know let, let let's talk about me putting my foot in it here we go um <laughs> step in it get up roll around in it yeah get, get dirty with it <laughs> it's you know i mean it, it, you know you were you were we were having a, a conversation earlier about what is it that you know whites need to do in this and it is sometimes just as simple as being in the office and going, well, why aren't they in this meeting? Yeah. That's what and, I'm you know, talking about. This is, this is their project. They're working yeah. on this. Hmm. You know, why aren't they in this meeting? You know, and, you know, really, it, it's, it, it's that proactiveness of, of, you know, saying, you know, I, I know that this is wrong to not include these people. 
I'm going to take the time and effort and energy to make sure that they are included, that they are, that they are at the table. And even if it is a stupid meeting about server configuration, you know, to, the heck is that? that is your job. Your job. <laughs> I have no idea. If your job, you know, like you pick any job, pick no. any job, and that is your responsibility, and that is what you do. But then there are constantly people taking meetings about your job, deciding how you should be doing your job, you know, whether you're doing your job right or not. And then they just come back to you and tell you this is wrong. Yeah. And that's that you know, that touches. It, yeah, that touches on what I experienced in my employment life, you know, when I wasn't mm -hmm. working for myself. Mm -hmm. That's what I experienced over here in Norway. And, it, and it's. <sighs> I don't know if it's pride. I don't know what that is, but I just, I can't accept that. I won't, I can't let that happen to me. Well, this, and it caused a lot also, of trouble. It caused a lot of trouble because I spoke up about it. And yeah, um, it, it also goes to kind of the, but it's also a bit the Norwegian mode of, of working. The way I like to describe it is that there, there is huge qualification inflation in Norway so just by default, if you don't have a master's degree, like there are meetings yeah. I have to fight to get into yeah. that I should be in, you know, um, but, you know, and it's not, it's not to say, again, to, to the point I was making earlier is that it's only amplified when you then layer in race or gender mm -hmm. into it. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, well, this happens equally across the board. It's mm -hmm. simply to say no. there is this kind of baseline behavior in Norway yeah. that is then amplified if you do not look like them or you don't speak like them or yeah. you don't, you know, all of those, all of those things, you know. And mm. uh, so it, it's, you know, I don't always do it well, but I always try to do my best to get the different voices in the room. Yeah. And I think... If you work for the larger companies that have a multinational presence, then it's a bit bet Norwegians are a bit better about that inclusion because they they have colleagues in Singapore, they have colleagues in you know different countries. Um, but it's still a challenge. It's still you know they very much think that they have the answer. <laughs> and speaking up is the problem. You were saying you were you were speaking up. And that, yeah. that's when you got in trouble. No, I'm, I'm saying too, oh, sorry. I'm like, <laughs> uh, John, yeah? you were saying you were speaking up at the, and yeah. that became yeah. a problem. Yeah. yeah, because it's like, oh, you know, stay in your lane, you know. Yeah. We, we get, it's almost like I should, I should feel myself so fortunate to be in the mm. position I'm that's in, it. you know. Here you go, boy. This is what you've got. Accept that and don't you dare ask for more. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of that experience, but, mm. but I, I wanted to ask you in your world as a psychotherapist mm. and, and sexologist, um, your clientele, uh, are you giving a service to minorities, um, that they feel locked out of? Because they're minorities, so they come to you because of that minority connection. Uh, well, it, it, they do come to me because I advertise. I advertise <laughs> at Radio Latin America, and I want people to know that this this is a um, this is an option. 
You know, I, uh, somebody who has that experience and somebody who is uh, going to understand them in a, on, a, on a different on a different level. So, the, uh, so your clients feel that they're going to get a different understanding from you just because of your background. Your family's from Chile, correct? Yes, yeah. that's correct. Well, I can't speak for all my clients. That's uh, I can't say that. But that's something that I offer. It's something that I offer. And I know that as well as somebody who, who has been in therapy and goes to therapy is that when you are met with somebody on the other side that sees you and, and you can trust that uh, your feelings are going to be held in a safe manner. And it's not going to be, you're not going to be reliving the silencing, the, the, the minimization and all those things that are, are part of the process of growing up here and not having your feelings and your, your experiences validated and recognized. When you know that you're on the other side, you're going to be uh, held and seen and heard, then that, that is already a big part of the healing process. Because so yes, uh, many of my clients come from, from different backgrounds like that. I mm -hmm. guess I just was kind of, I, I started thinking, you know, if I were to go to a therapist and it's a, it's a Norwegian guy, uh, I, I just wonder how, I don't know, I wonder how a Somali for example, uh, knowing that there are many, many preconceived notions here in Norway about how Somali men especially are. I wonder if a Somali man could ever be comfortable and, just, and, 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 you know, and let it all out in front of a therapist here in Norway. I, I wonder how much of a problem that is. I don't know if you have any insight into that or... Uh, and I'm using, think, a Somali, yeah. I'm using a Somali man as an yeah. example. I, I could use myself as an example. I wonder mm. if that therapist's uh, preconceived notions of what he thinks my background is, I wonder if that will play into how he will treat me as a patient. Mm. Mm. It's just a if, thought. If you look at, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a really important thought as well because there's a, it's a disproportionate amount of, of white people in, the, in the, this uh, profession uh, because, again, this is part of privilege, right? So I, I recognize my privilege that I was able to study this, yeah. that I could take you know, five years to go and, 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 and do this, this degree and, and, and everything and, and, and what that meant uh, financially and everything. But uh, not everyone has that opportunity. So if, if you are from a minority and you already come in uh, living in a, in a, in a poorer, more vulnerable areas, areas, it's going to be difficult to have access to that kind of education. Right. So it is also, that is one of my roles within, within my profession, is to be able to speak up and, and say, guys, we need to do something about understanding intersectionality and not coming from, not coming from a looking down uh, position, but actually opening up and, and looking at other experience and learning from and reading and learning from uh, practitioners. Uh, there's something called um, liberation psychology, and it's uh, it's. Uh, uh, psychiatrists and psychologists from from Africa or have the African uh, experience uh, who are uh, doing amazing work and and they're taking the, you know because everything that we learn comes from a Western way or oh, well yeah. you're sick you don't feel you you don't fit into our box of what's what's right and what's wrong so yeah. you must be sick 
while we, we have to explore other cosmovisions, you know, spirituality and bring that in uh, uh, without looking at it as, you know, you must be sick if you have this experience. So there's a lot to unpack and there's lots to, there to work on within the different <laughs> professions yeah. there too. Yeah. Hmm. I think just just to throw a little bit in there, and it, it's, it's to that point, um, you know, in my experience, you know, finding help here, um, you know, it, it, it you know, it, and it's more to the, the point of, of, you know, what you've experienced a, a, as a practitioner, I'm guessing, um, that, you know, if your practitioner has never interacted with anyone who's had the experiences that you've had, it becomes very difficult for them to treat you. Yeah. And, and well, I, I guess there's that, not a doctor out there for me then. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, the, the only metaphor I can come up with is, you know, you, you don't go to a podiatrist when you have cancer. Mm. Right? Yeah. They, they, you know, they yeah. specialize in podiatrists, specialize in feet. That's what they know. If you've got lung cancer, they're not going to know what to do. Right. With it, right. You know, and, and so it's, you know, so we then run into this problem where if we're talking about, you know, the mental health of a society and mm -hmm. all you have are podiatrists. Yeah. <laughs> how, how can you, how can you help the overall mental health of a society if all you've got are podiatrists? You know, mm -hmm. that, so that sounded very weird. I realize now, but because <laughs> podiatrists are not trained psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I keep thinking about what you were saying um, about, about discrimination in Oslo. I guess mm -hmm. my thoughts, my attention has been so focused on things happening back home. Uh, it, it's breaking my heart to see everything that's been, been going on back home. And again, and I don't have, I, I don't have that connection to Oslo. I, I don't know anybody there. Um, hey, Hey, hey! I mean, oh, let me let me re, let me let me rephrase that. I don't know anybody there that I relate with on a daily basis, to where I would get that information that things like that are happening in Oslo. But when you say it, it's like, yeah, of course, those things would happen. I mean, it's already set up; <laughs> the stage is set mm -hmm. for those kind of things to happen. Who who is doing anything about it? And is it fair of me to say that they maybe need to do a better job of turning on the megaphone and the spotlight so that more people know what's going on? Because I hear no protests, no, no land-wide protest uh, or discussion even about things like that in Oslo. Oh yeah, well, this, this is so interesting because we uh, the different organizations working in different ways, and um, you have anti-racistisk center, and they have um, a uh, a center where they help young kids. So there's a focus is on the young kids, um, but it's all very much to going back to the the other. Uh, the other topic we were discussing earlier about how do we work? How do we do we turn them into Norwegians? Uh, is that what we're trying to do? Uh -oh. Or are we assimilating them? Uh -oh. Or are we um, 
uh, are we looking at what resources are there? I'm not saying that anti-racist center is is doing that. I'm just saying that the, this is a it's it's a bit of a theme of organizational work in Norway. So when you you, you create an organization to an NGO to create awareness around these issues, you have a set of rules and you have and so it is difficult to to stand out and to do um, and to do like a nationwide. Uh, riots and uprising when everyone is very much in very in a controlled uh way of organizing and talking about these things so yes there are projects people are going to schools and there are uh, <clears throat> things like this happening now in terms of activism and uh now i can just talk a little bit about my my activism yeah please please <laughs> which, which is the, the from the latin community you know the, the, the latinx community uh, we we stage performances because it, it needs to catch people by it needs to shake them off the the comfort me, can, can I can I it interrupt you? To, can I interrupt you? Yeah. you said you said the Latin sure. community and then you said the Latinx community. X. Yes. What's the difference? Yes. What what's the difference? Well, the there? difference is. And I'm, you, say, I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, and I'm sorry to interrupt you about that. It's, but but you said that actually in in the previous in the the earlier podcast episode I had with you, and I meant to ask you to talk about the difference between that. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's why I'm asking. Yeah. So Latin, in 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 Spanish we have uh, the feminine and the masculine when we talk. So we say Latina and Latino. Yeah. But when we are uh, we we want an exclusive language. So to to in, include everyone in, in, in you know gender non-conforming and queer and every, so we put an X at the end. Okay. Yeah. And it's Latin X. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Got so it. It, we are we are inclusive in our in our in intersectional in our thinking and, and, and in our work. Okay. So it's the Latinx community and yes we we are women but we are also we are also. Uh, we have the transgender community. We have everything within within our. Uh, uh, we want representation, basically. So the Latinx um, just encompasses all of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it's the element, it's the <clears throat> idea of activism like this, you know, for people to is to use, for instance, what's what's happening in the U.S. now, and people uh, having uh, 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 wanting to go out in the streets here too. It's an opportunity as well to put the light on. Yes, it's absolutely horrible what's happening in the U.S. And look, look what is happening here too. So we need to take those um, those opp opportunities in a way to yeah. be able to shed a light on on the, on the experiences of of, uh, of outsiders of the people, the marginalized people here. Uh, take people out of their comfort zone, and it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge to take people out of their comfort zone. Lexi and I were disagreeing about this the other day, but now I understand where you're coming from with it. So thank you for explaining. Do you do you you said something about you know here in Norway? Maybe it's part of the assimilation thing. You know, people have kind of taken it upon themselves to call you Lexi. So that's not a shortening of your name that you asked for that's what so, that's the name that's been placed on you or it, my it misunderstanding in, uh, in the in the uk actually when i live in the uk um how do you feel about here that? i i'm i'm okay i mean it's a way for me to play with different parts of myself i was alex for a very long time too 
Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I know you're looking at me weirdly, but <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's, an, it's, an, it's intriguing. <laughs> I think like this in, uh, early in the morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested in something called sub personality. So, this the, in, the, in psychology again, the, the, this idea that we, we have this persona that we present to the world. Yeah. And then we have another one that we are with our families, another one we are, we are with our friends, we a professional one. So <clears throat> I, uh, in order to integrate all parts of myself, what I did was to to put names and, and see how would this part of me work? How would this? And then people started calling me things it's like, mm, this fits, this works. Uh, and, and then I did an experiment on it. How would I be treated if I was called Alejandra? Uh -huh. And how would I be treated if I was called Lexi? And as Lexi, I get so many benefits. And this, again, this is privileged because I can pass as Lexi. I can just, oh yeah, she's Lexi. Uh, and, and it becomes part of me. I am Lexi. Yes, I am. But I'm also Alejandra. So, uh, yeah. But which do you all, prefer? Me. Do you have a preference? Uh, <laughs> hmm. No, I like my name. I like my original Alejandra, my original name. But uh, when it comes to working professionally and i think this is i have to admit this must be my my uh, assimilation my fear of, of of exclusion i think i prefer alexandra or uh, lexi when i'm working yeah okay. definitely because it takes away it takes away everything my, my opinions will be heard that's the I thing see. my opinions yeah I wonder if we're doing therapy early in the morning. <laughs> well, well, tell me more about your mother. <laughs> well, well, then I guess you don't want to go there. I guess your statement stimulates me to throw a question out for myself, a rhetorical question out there for myself. Mm -hmm. Would I be heard more if I let people call me mm -hmm. Yon instead of demanding that they call mm -hmm. me John? Mm. And what do you think? I would probably be heard more. I'd be heard more if my name was mm. Bugis Vartisen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the non-Norwegian speakers may be wondering what the heck am I talking about. But, but yeah, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I would probably be heard more, but I would be breaking from an aspect of my personality and of my resolve and of my identity that would cheapen all of that. So that, that's why I, I insist that people, if, if someone calls me Yon, I will correct them. And not with an attitude, but I will just correct them. There doesn't need to be any mm -hmm. conflict about sure. it. There has been conflict because I've actually had people, I think I told you about this, uh, Lexi, that um, there are people who demand, you know, you live in Norway now, you better integrate yourself and accept that your name is Yon. And I don't have to accept oh. anything. Hey, hey, do you want to know what the pinnacle of privilege is? <laughs> No one has ever expected me to finish my Norwegian courses. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. I haven't. I haven't either. I went to Norwegian <laughs> classes for three days. Three, I think two days, actually. Two days and half of the third day. And I quit. 
Like my my first job paid for some Berlitz classes, and all I walked out with was how to say I have a toothache. You know, like you know, it's. But how is your Norwegian though? uh, It's very bad because uh, (laughs) well, I split my time between Oslo and Gudbrandsdalen, right? So in Oslo, it's very you know straight up book mall kind of style Norwegian, but up here. They speak some weird hillbilly dialect. And so when I get back to Oslo, especially because now I'm up here in Heidal for three weeks, and I'm with my sons who are saying things like, and I'm going to go back to Oslo and say that, and people are going to be like, yep, you've been on the farm for a few weeks. Yeah, you? Yeah, you know? yeah. And then it all kind of gets mixed together. And so... I have actually, I always say to people in meetings, it's like, yes, I can speak Norwegian. You will ask me to stop within 30 seconds. And they're like, try me. And then I speak for 30 seconds and they're like, yeah, you don't need to talk anymore. (laughs) Don't do that. But, But the original point is that, you know, no one's ever expected or demanded of me to learn Norwegian. Interesting. It's just never. Well, that's I mean, that's an know, example of privilege here in Norway. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, when, mm-hmm. when 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 people are drunk, they'll usually be like, "Oh, you live in Norway. You should speak Norwegian." And I'm like, "I don't have to because all of my colleagues are in the UK, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. spend ten hours a day on the phone with them." So, ah, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and everyone's like, "Oh, well, you have a job with people that you work with people in the UK. Well, then I guess it's okay." And it's like. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but you come from anywhere else and all of a sudden it's even my British friends who who live in Norway, there is a greater expectation on them than there is on me as an American white American. Interesting. Because I and I don't know if that's just because people think we're linguistic write offs or something. That's or, part of it. That is um, part of it, I think. You know, it's like I studied I studied French, Spanish, and Japanese when I was in school. So you know, I can do it, <laughs> but yeah. it's. Uh, I think it's an admiration. I think Norway admires the states. There's a like a, a, a cultural um, god, a cultural god of this secular country is to is to look look to the states. So. Uh, yeah, they would they would want you to speak English and, and American English. Yeah, it's yeah. just so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> I should go back and relearn Spanish. I was fluent in Spanish. I used it daily uh, at my job uh, as a police officer back in the states, and I was I, I I was fluent. And then the more Norwegian I learned, the less Spanish I could remember. And I, I, I truly wish that wasn't the case because it's just it was a, it was a beautiful language to be able to speak, yeah. Oh well, I think so too. But <laughs> <laughs> we got to practice them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I should hire you in for uh, some some, uh, some coaching here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that that that, uh, that whole identity issue that that's interesting, Lexi. That you can that you've kind of compartmentalized it, and you have your Lexi persona, your you have your Alex persona, your uh, Alejandra mm. persona. It's it's that's a, that's an interesting thing. 
Um, I can see where that would serve you well. But um, mm. for me, that, that identity thing is so, um, I don't know. I guess identity is important for everyone, but there used to be a time where I would go into defense mode about my name. You know, people would call me Yon, and it would be really no discussion. I would start, I would just jump on them. Hey, that's not my name. And, and, and you know, and now I just calmly correct them. So, so that was a growth, a period, period of growth for me to be able to handle that and not take that as an affront to my, to my personality or to my, uh, to my uh, identity. I mean, in, in philosophy, at least, you, you also have, uh, you know, within identity studies and, and the areas that I was working in um, around semiotics, which is the study of sign systems and iconography and representation. So you get into the whole postmodernist thing as well, um, that, you know, fundamentally identity is just a, it's a dynamic system of signs, of representations of things. Um, and it changes every conversation you have with another person, you change. Every interaction you have with a physical object, you change. It's why we swear at chairs when we stub our toe on them. <laughs> um, you know, our relationships with things are, are very dynamic. And so who I am with my colleagues is a very different thing from who I am with, with Alejandra or with you. Or, or with any other number of people. And, it, and I think that what you were pointing to uh, is if you already exist in a context where identity is very brittle, especially, you know, I think anytime you move countries, your, your identity becomes very, very scattered and it's very oh, difficult yeah. to retain those connections. I'm here to tell you. Inside yeah. yourself. Yeah. You know, and so if all of a sudden the one constant that's always been there in your whole life, the pronunciation of your name is also being taken, you know, then, then you know, and it seems like such a small thing, but it, it's so fundamental. It's like, this is who I am at, oh. at the bare minimum, you know, yeah. from, from the day I was born or whenever my parents decided to name me, that's who I am. And yeah. if you take that from me, then what am I? You yeah. know, and, yeah. and, um, you know, so it, to, to me, it's not at all surprising that you, you went through that experience. I mean, you know, in Norway, they always screw up my last name. So I'm always getting called hot dog, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, or sausage, you know, and, and it's, um, you know, so it, it, which is a funny thing, you know, I, I can live with that. Sure. Just like, yeah. Well, yeah. You want to call me sausage? I'm cool with it. <laughs> you know, let, let's roll with that, you know, because, uh, you know, but, you, you know, I, I have this experience because in large corporations, when you are doing your paperwork, you have to put your legal name and then that that just gets pumped into the machine, which then prints out your your name card, your business cards. So now all of my corporate things have my full name on it. And I'm like, there's only ever been one person in my life who called me Christopher Scott. And that was my mom. And that was when I was in trouble. So <laughs> I'm walking around the office and people are like, Christopher, I'm like, <laughs> what do I do now? You know, and, uh, so, you know, it's an education for people. It's like, you can just call me Chris. Like yeah. we're not, we're not Royal here. You know? <laughs> like, hmm. 
you, uh, Lexi, do you feel detached from your Latina roots in any way living here in, in Norway? No. Oh no. I live it every day. I have, um, my, my friends, my activists, they're all, they're all uh, Latinx and completely, completely tuned in and turned on to that. Uh, it's part of who I am. It's part of how I dress, how I think, how I, uh, yeah, it's all very much part of me and how, what I embrace. I embrace the, the Latinidad, you know, the Latinity, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the how we experience as a culture, how we learn to experience life. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, how we move, how we enjoy the, the, the thing about pleasure, the same, we, I'm not, I mean, everyone has the capacity to do this, of course, but it's very prominent in our culture. Uh, the, the, the gathering of people and enjoying together and spending time preparing the food and, and shouting it when shouting it out loud, when you really like something or don't like something yeah. and being out there with your emotions and expressions and, and then the sensations and that's all, you know, you're living in that pleasure. So you don't feel stifled. Uh, yeah. You don't feel stifled or, or compressed in any way. You let it out. You live your, your Latina self. You are Latina dad. It's there. Yeah. 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 It's there. But I mean, it does feel, I, I am met with that, that part of society because, you know, shh, calm down, be <laughs> yeah, quiet. Yeah. And just don't, like Chris was saying, don't get too excited, like that example. Um, uh, but I, I do it anyway. So I put my flower, flowers on my hair and I just walk out in the street full of color. And any any negative listening to music, I have, Any negative consequences because you just kind of live no. it? No, nothing. No, it's because that's, you embrace it. When you embrace it, yeah. people have no choice. Yeah. You're lying a bit. <laughs> wow. Oh. Oh, oh about the Nazis. Are we talking about the Nazis? <laughs> well, you, you've got the Nazis. Uh, okay. You've got the cat callers. Oh, yeah. You've got well, the, uh, well I, I never see Norwegian women getting cat called. You know, just saying. Just putting it out there. What do, what, what's, <laughs> what's, what's happened with the Nazis? Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the way, the Nazis. Uh, <laughs> Eat Illinois well, Nazis. They're the worst. <laughs> So I've been I've, I've been part of a, of a of a feminist movement, a Latinx feminist movement here, and um, we've organized a few uh, flash mobs uh, and uh, and events and marches, and Nazis turn up, and they, no, you know, with their threatening, the threatening symbols and coming at us and shouting things at us. So yes, that happens. And now, is this when you've been? When is this when you all have been gathered to protest something, or is this just in your day to day life, walking in yeah. the streets, or? No, this is when we've gathered to to protest okay. the Nazis at least. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but they're taking pictures of us, so they've been following us, taking pictures of us. They took, um, they followed one of my one of my. Uh, no, friend, but one of one of the girls from the movement. They followed her to the train station and started uh, hurting abuse at her. Have you had um, to ask for police protection? Uh, not, uh, not yet. But we did contact the police for that. Yeah. What was the police response? 
Well, they, they, that person, they took that person and they, they had seen him several times. So they were actually following, the, following him. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's part of the, it, this is what happens. You this accept, you just, you, you accept that as a byproduct of the activism. Uh, well, I don't accept it. Okay. I don't, I don't accept it. Uh, I'm just, um, are you afraid because I'm of it? Just, I tr try not to be, mm. I try to, to let it, to give me more energy to keep doing this, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's what I, I use it for. It's like, okay, these bastards that are out here. Well, they, they won't. They won't get my voice. They won't because get my sounds, body. They won't get any. That sounds so ominous. I, I was followed by Nazis. Nazis were taking my photograph. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, it sounds. It's very interesting because it sounds stronger when when it's said out loud or when somebody else says it back to you. Yeah. And that's the important thing about witnessing and then going back to the the idea of uh, of having a practitioner, having a therapist who sees you is that your, your experience is validated. Otherwise, you, you minimize it yourself. Oh, well, you know, Nazis were following me and taking pictures and photographs <laughs> of me. Uh, but when you say it out loud, yes, it is a big deal. Yeah. It is, uh, yeah, definitely. Mm. I see you nodding there, Chris. <laughs> well, it's the, the reason I'm nodding, at least from, from my perspective, is that, um, you know, the, the first few times where I was hearing about you know, friends who are people of color who are having these interactions, right? You know, there's always that initial disbelief because it's not part of, I never have that happen to me. Certainly you're, you're, you're being ridiculous here. This, this never happened, you know, um, you know, because it sounds outlandish, right? It's like, come on, I thought we beat the Nazis in 1945, you know, it's like, I thought we were done with that. You know? Because and yeah, it, think that, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think that as you have more conversations with with people of color, and you just sit and listen, <laughs> that's the other key thing. You sit and listen to that experience. Um, the the more that you hear that it happens, the more you understand that it is a part of people's reality. And and this this goes to without making it too academic. This is the whole process of semiosis of of taking a one-off incident and having it become something that is consistently represented and understood. Mm. You know? And, and, you know, this is how you come, you know, the, the simple example is how do you come to understand the color red? Well, it's because as you're growing up, someone points to a thing and goes red right. and they do it over and over and over again until you understand that that's red. Now, the irony in that is what I understand is red is going to be different from what John understands as red and what Lexi understands as red. We only have a general consensus of what red is. And so if you only ever once in your life meet someone who says, yeah, I've been followed by Nazis at a protest, they're going to go, yeah, sure. Yeah. But the more you hear it, the more you interact with people, um, and the, the more exposure you have to those realities, the, the less it becomes this one-off, like, sure, to, oh, okay, this, this is genuinely a problem. And I think it's easier, and, and going back to way, way back in the conversation about white involvement in this is mm. with the, you know, one of the good side effects of the internet and one of the initial hopes of the internet was to, to bring people's experience together. And I think mm. that 
as you've had the commoditization of video and photo, um, that anyone, anywhere, anytime can produce that evidence, yeah. um, it becomes much more difficult to deny. I mean, obviously, yeah. you have the rise of deep fakes, but that's still a year or so off. Well, I wonder if I wonder if the protest would be as large as it, as it is and as effective as it has been um, back home in the states if it wasn't for COVID nineteen. And so many people are unemployed. So many people are sitting at home, and they saw that footage. So it brought it home to more people than any of these previous incidents have ever brought it home to people because people were home and they saw it and now they're galvanized. It, it's one piece of it. I think the, uh, uh, another piece of it is everyone is in a lot of pain right now. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a big reach for people to go like I'm in pain. That's pain too. We, we have collective pain. It yeah. may not be yeah. the same pain, but there's just a growing frustration, you know, it's like, you know, so maybe you're, you're a unemployed white in, in West Virginia frustrated at the government government's response to this, that now they're out of a job and oh, I, I can't work and, and I'm struggling here. And yeah. then they see someone else's uh, experience with poor governance and they go, Hey, yeah. okay, this government is not working for us anymore. Yeah. You know, and so so e even though they're coming from different directions, it ends up being a commonality of re re recognizing that, OK, maybe the way that we are being governed is not working for anyone, yeah. you know, and then yeah. that becomes that, that thing that brings people together. It's certainly, please don't misunderstand the point I was trying to make. I'm not at all trying to dismiss the impact of no, no. video footage. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, yes, the, the simple fact that people are sitting around watching the news and yeah, that's just yeah, yeah, thrown in yeah. there. The timing, the timing of it, I believe, has yeah. a lot to do with the level of protests Absolutely. that we're seeing now. Absolutely. I, I was thinking more around the, the why all of a sudden whites would get on board with this. <laughs> that, that, that's more the thinking I was doing because I mean, you know, we, you know, we we see things all the time, mm -hmm. you know. But why are we acting now? Yeah, yeah. Good you know, question. I, I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's like I still remember seeing the Rodney King video. Yeah, know? yeah. Why why didn't anyone act then? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I think that's also why. Um, you know, th this is when you start to feel a little old, <clears throat> uh, well, you have a lot of people getting really worked up around, you know, Trump threatening to use the insurrection act because that was 92 was the last time it was used in LA. Mm -hmm. And that, like, I remember being a kid and seeing that on TV and that was terrifying. Sure. Sure. You know? I mean, and I think at least as an American, that, that as a white American, that was always the one thing that really scared me was anytime you'd see the military rolling down the street because mm, yeah. up, up where I lived, you would have tanks rolling around a lot because they would do war games yeah. up where I lived. And so anytime you saw like tanks and shit, you yeah. know, or like we would be driving down ne near Pease Air Force Base in Portsmouth where they would fly refueling yeah. tankers and B-52s out of, 
um, you know, it's it's a very ominous thing. If you start seeing American boots on American soil, that's well. I remember the the, the Rodney King incident, and and uh, you know, and then the idea of the military coming in into the streets of Los Angeles. I was I was active duty in the Marines at that time. And while it wasn't a scary image to me, it was a very strange image. I couldn't imagine being an active duty United States Marine and then being in the streets of my own country to potentially use force against my fellow citizens. That's just not, I didn't feel like that was the mission of the military. So I understand that provision. I understand that it's there, but I do believe that that clown in the White House today is throwing that idea around in a in way, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, it's too cavalier. He's, he's too, he's too, he's not putting any thought into it. He's not putting any thought into the impact of something like that. He's a, it's a dictatorship. I mean, it's the, the, he speaks like a di dictator uh, and... My wife uh, says that all the time. He wants to burn it. Yeah. She says that all the time, but I kind of, but I counter with this. Yes, he's talking like a dictator, but he's just making himself sound like a fool. I, I don't think, I guess I still have faith in the American people. I still have faith in Congress. I still have faith in the Constitution that if things were to get too bad, they would invoke, what is it, the 25th Amendment where his cabinet can remove him from office basically because they find him incompetent. I, I believe, I still believe that that is what will happen if things get too bad. So I still have some nope. hope. No. Nope. Am I wrong? Nope. nope. Abandon all hope. <laughs> I will tell you why you're wrong, John. Stop being so optimistic, John. Okay, tell me. <laughs> tell me why I should be a negative Nancy. <laughs> so, no, it, well, and here's, here's the, all of the fail safes have been very intentionally broken down in this presidency. That's you true. Notice congressional oversight is gone. Few, congressional oversight is gone. We have very few installed secretaries. Most of them are acting secretaries. That's true. Which means they're there by presidential appointment temporarily. And they can be removed as soon as they inconvenience him. Well, I guess so when I say when I say him, that completely goes around that congressional circuit breaker. I guess so if he can just remove whoever and put whoever in, if if he hears rumblings that that people are starting to to lean towards the twenty fifth amendment, he can just go, "You're all fired. I'm bringing these people." In. So where where's the where's the circuit breaker? There is none. It's gone. What happened and to Lexi? All legal. <laughs> what happened there, Lexi? Sorry, I had to charge. I had to charge my computer because it was going off. Oh. It's like, oh no. L listen, you though, people. So this is this is a this is a great conversation. But I, I'm looking at the clock here because I have a I have a pre-interview. Uh, I'm going to be speaking in front of some uh, some school students tomorrow, and I have a pre-interview with that teacher. She's going to be contacting me here shortly. So I guess people want to hear what I have to say. I don't know what that's all about. What's that all about? What is that all about? <laughs> so I guess I'm too familiar that's with you guys. I'm yeah. sitting here unwashed, no shower, no shave, but I do have to do that before this, 
I, I don't know. You guys see where you fall on my social uh, ladder. I didn't shave and shower for you guys, but I will for the next no, person. I, 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 yeah, exactly. I am honored. You can see my completely disheveled beard or that I've been playing with these like, hairs at the back of my beard. That missed, so they're super long. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes you look scholarly. It makes you look scholarly. No, no, scholarly when you choke your chin. It's not scholarly when you're playing with your neck beard. <laughs> it's a different thing what do you guys have going on today is this a regular work day for you guys yeah yeah yep i'm, I'm going yeah. back to to doing whatever it is i do these days <laughs> and, and you like lexi do you take in clients at your home do you have a home office no i have an office in uh, uh in, okay uh, oslo okay and and then i do but i also do online okay so I do both. Of course, mm -hmm. online. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I'm sorry I had to cut it short, but it takes a long time to make me pretty. So I need to start shaving and showering and all that stuff. I, I, I can never get pretty. I try so hard. I put so much time into it. Beautiful man, John. Don't let anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter what they say. Christina Guinea. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I enjoyed the conversation today. Um, as you both know, you guys are always welcome here. And, and I, I appreciate you guys throwing some thoughts on, on some important issues. You know, we talked about identity. We talked about uh, activism uh, here in Norway, activism back in the States. And we just, we're just trying to make sense of the whole situation. And I appreciate you guys' contribution. Oh, thank you. Thank and you. I just want to drive this one point home yeah? is that the most important thing you can do as an ally, because that was sort of where we started, yes. is, is just shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> Very well stated. Yes. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's like, I know everyone's circulating books and it's like, oh, you should read and you should, you know, contribute and all of this. It's like, but if there, if, if you can't do any of those other things, just listen, this is the, the cheapest, easiest thing to do is shut up, listen, and go into it with an open mind and, and mm. accept that your experience is not going to match that. And you just sit and listen. And it's like, yeah, everyone has had hardship in, in their life. It doesn't mean that um, you need to someone else's struggle, yeah. which is, yeah. you know, ingrained in, in centuries of oppression just because you didn't get into the school you were. <laughs> Yeah, or yeah. maybe you think you should be getting paid more, or you know, or someone cut in line in front of you, or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just like get over yourself yeah. for the five minutes it takes to listen to someone else's story, and try and understand that it's more than just that one story. It's a yeah. never-ending series of stories every yeah. single day. And imagine what it would be like if every single day you white guy got cut in line at Starbucks every single day. It's a, yeah, it's a know? consistent microaggressions. Like the extent that, of the oppression. Right? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a consistent mm -hmm. microaggressions and micro racism um, uh, under the surface, but there that we that you were talking about, Lexi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yes. So listen, listen, and then and look. 
look around your environment and, and see how many people uh, 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 that are different to you are in in your environment and then what can you do to include them in the conversation yeah let's round it off right there um i need to go get pretty <laughs> <laughs> Just but thanks <laughs> thanks for doing this episode both of you okay thank you thank you and thanks to everybody for listening bye, bye. everybody i'm coming home yes i am yes i'm coming home i'm coming home yes Thank you.